And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hey everyone, welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Episode 132 on March 3rd, 2019. Time of recording is 11.06 a.m. And here with me today to talk about the fallout from the Oscars, what's going on with Steven Spielberg and Netflix. We're going to announce the 2018 MVP Film Awards. And I also have an announcement at the end of the episode. I have Will Mavity. Hello, everybody. Michael Schwartz. Is it time for the Oscars again? Dan Bayer. Hello, hello, hello. And Deanne Knighton, everybody. Uh, so nice to be back. So nice to have you back. Miss you. And I also have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. So lots to talk about this week. I don't know. Where do we start? Should we start with uh, what's going on with Steven Spielberg, Oscars, Netflix? Because, man, oh, man, this is the one thing that everybody can't stop talking about right now. And I just want to give it a shout out here to Will Mavity, who, you know, well, I have to say, when you first started talking about, like, how we were going to get to this point, even a couple of years ago, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit and was like, nah, the theatrical experience isn't going to change, at least not right away. But when you have somebody like Steven Spielberg at the uh, forefront of this debate right now, it's becoming, uh, you know, pretty clear in our in our minds that big changes are around the corner. So why don't you tell everybody what's going on right now? So basically, Spielberg has been someone who has been A, pessimistic, and B, feeling threatened about changes towards the theatrical experience. He and Lucas were the ones who went on the record a couple years ago saying that they think we're going to get to a point where going to the movies is like going to the opera. You do it like three times a year. There's only a couple of them released, and you pay like 60 bucks. You get dressed up, and everything else gets streamed. So we know that that is what Spielberg sees us heading towards, and he's afraid of it. So he is leading the charge at the Academy's next board meeting in April to basically change the rules to make it more difficult for films that have primarily streaming releases, like Netflix films, to compete at the Oscars. They've talked about... uh, Possibilities such as requiring a mandatory four-week release um, or potentially forcing them, just Netflix films in general, only to compete for the Emmys. So we'll see he's faced a lot of flack online from people being like, hey, just so you know, it's really easy for you, Spielberg, to get financing for whatever you want, but for women, people of color – just smaller filmmakers in general, we need things like Netflix to get financing. I'm sorry they don't hit your lofty standards. 
Um, and some people like Ava DuVernay are planning to come and argue. So we will see. I'm hoping they don't change the rules. But yeah, I mean, we've known for some time this was coming because in many ways, streaming and watching at home is the future of viewing because ultimately people like to curl up on their couch with a fuzzy blanket and a bottle of wine. Never underestimate people's internal homebody nature. They're always going to go towards whatever the streaming or the viewing possibility is. It lets them do that. Now, I just want to go around the room here really quickly, and I want to ask everyone. So I'll start off actually with Michael. Do you prefer to watch movies in a theater or at home? It honestly depends. If it's a movie like, I'll give an instance of a Netflix movie like The Meyerowitz Stories. I could watch that at home, no problem. And actually, I would prefer to watch it at home, even if I had the option to go in a theater, just because, you know, it's there. I don't have to worry about schlepping out to the theater if it's raining or snowing, finding a seat, parking, all that. But if it's a movie like Roma, something that sort of demands the theatrical experience, then I like to have the option. So with this whole Spielberg versus, I'll just say film Twitter as a collective whole here, uh, as that whole argument, I think it's one of those rare situations where everybody is right to an extent. And I think Netflix should be able to compete with Oscars. But I also think that maybe we should alter some of the rules so that it's a little, you know, so that they get to play with everybody else. Deanne, what about you at home or in the theater? I'm kind of with Michael. It's a little bit of both. It's interesting to think that most of the Oscar voters are watching screeners anyway. And so few of them are seeing it in the theater. I think for me, um, I, I enjoy certain things in the theater. If there's kind of uh, an event or something you know, related to the Oscars, I usually like to try and make it to the theater, but I'm a big proponent of independent film. And I think streaming has allowed a lot of things to be accessible to people that have it in the past. And so it it just really depends. And I think it depends a little bit on your setup at home. I think there is a difference between a laptop and a TV. (laughs) Dan Baer, what about you? I have to be honest, I completely disagree with Deanna and Michael. I need to see things in the theater. Um, If there's one thing that I've learned about myself in the past few years since streaming and VOD has kind of really taken off, it's that if something is only streaming, if it's not playing in the theater, chances are I will never see it. Okay. Not because not because I don't want to or because like I don't stream things at home. I do, but it's just that if I don't like actually have a time scheduled where I can go out to a theater and see it, I'm not going to because at home there are so many other things jockeying for my attention. You know, there's TV shows, there's news, there's cat videos on YouTube, there's the laundry, there's chores, there's cleaning, there's all these other things happening. And what usually ends up happening is that I just don't see them because I don't make the time for that at home. Whereas if it's in the theater, I will usually make the time to go out and see it if I want to. Josh Parm, same question. I personally will always value the theatrical experience. I think that there is really something about watching a movie on that big screen in that room that I will always value. Um, But at the same time, I understand that not every film or filmmaker has the resources to do that. And I think at the end of the day, the major thing that's important to me is to see the content that's out there. And streaming allows a lot of people to see that content in a way that they couldn't. I mean, we can all say that Roma should be demanded to be seen in the theater, but for the vast majority of people, they don't live near theaters that were showing it, but they all had a Netflix account. And I think that that is still something that's very 
incredible to to see. I, I if I was like fourteen and watching the Oscars, I would have loved to have seen those specialty movies in my home and didn't have to schlep out to like downtown to see. So I do think that there is value in the theatrical experience for sure, and we should celebrate that. But that isn't the only thing that makes a movie, in my opinion. And I think that the times are changing very rapidly. And a lot of people need to adapt their mindset on what actually is a movie. And playing in a theater is not the only thing that makes it. Will Mavity. Yeah, ultimately, I think it's hilarious that Spielberg, after basically creating the genre that killed the ability of mid-budget adult dramas to even exist in the theater anymore... (laughs) It's a little bit rich of him to suddenly criticize filmmakers for taking another route. At the end of the day, you're not going to get financing to make a Roma or honestly, even a ballad of Buster Scruggs nowadays. Those films just don't get the green light from the major studios. So you have, and, you and let's be very clear. Uh, his recent films of things like Lincoln, The Post, Bridge of Spies, those only get funding because it's Steven freaking Spielberg. And not right. always. It's not always easy. Lincoln nearly went to HBO. Right. So, I mean, we're moving, I guess, towards, like Will said before, and it's funny because this was Steven's last film, we're moving towards where movies like Ready Player One are going to be the only things that are playing because trends in uh, movie-going experiences lately have shown that people only show up to the movies to see these kinds of movies. Yep. And yes, every now and then, award season can boost a film's uh, box office. I mean, Michael, how much money has Green Book now made since winning the Oscar? Uh, Will had the exact number. Oh, sorry, Will? Uh, it made an additional like $37 million overseas and another $5 million domestically, and it's going to stick around for several more weeks, so who knows? I mean, you know, it's a very interesting debate and a very interesting topic. I mean, listen, I'm the kind of person that and I've realized this about myself since uh, ever since I started actually getting uh, screeners. I have a hard time watching stuff at home. And I used to not think that that was the case, but it's very much the case. And I have to be in a theater, even if it's something that I would prefer to watch on screener, maybe because of time or money or whatever the case might be. And I will still go to a theater so that this way I can be free of all distraction and, well, as much distraction as possible and, you know, really dedicate my mindset to watching that movie. (sighs) With that said, I think that the way things are now are fine. And I really think Spielberg's reaction to this is exactly that. I think it's an overreaction. Um, It's an overreaction based upon fear that the theatrical experience for independent films um, and like you said, Will, uh, mid-level budget filmmaking is going to truly go extinct. I don't think it is going to go extinct still. I really don't. I think it's going to become harder. um, And as a result, you will have more people flocking to Netflix or to television. But I don't think it's ever going to fully go away. Well, I mean, let's be honest, like the whole theatrical why people don't go to see those types of movies in the theater, it's kind of a chicken or egg situation, right? Because over the years, theatrical ticket prices have gone up by so much that people don't want to go unless they feel like they're getting a lot of bang for their buck. But at the same time, like just people stopped going because those movies were also not being made as much because they realized that only the giant blockbusters made money. So it's 
and you, it's hard to say who's really to blame for this um, the way it is right now. I think what they should do going forward is find some sort of compromise. And I've been thinking about this ever since Friday. And what would be great for Netflix, and I think this could appease everyone, is to create three different types of movies. And what we could have here are three options where one could be the streaming only option for movies like Paddleton or Our Souls at Night, where it just goes on Netflix streaming only. If you want to watch it, you have to watch it from home and it's not going to qualify for Oscars. Then you could have what's called like the day and date. Movies like Bright and Bird Box, some of the more big budget Netflix films that are streaming at home the same day that they come to a few theaters. But since there's no exclusivity window, they don't really qualify for Oscars either. But then you could have the four week window, which is what we saw with Roma. I know that was about three weeks, but if they extend it one more, if it premieres, let's say mid-November in theaters and then on Netflix a couple weeks after, then that could qualify for Oscars. I actually really like that idea, Michael. And I want to be very, very clear about this is that had Netflix been very bullish and stuck to their plan to just release Roma on their platform and not give it any kind of theatrical release or any of the films that they gave theatrical releases to this year, I would say Spielberg has more of an argument. But this year, more than others in the past, we really did see Netflix trying to still change the system while also compromising a little bit here. Now, whether that's because you have powerful filmmakers like Alfonso Cuaron demanding it um, is is one thing, but they still did it and they didn't have to. Um, I, I think a compromise can be found. I, I think they are willing to go there. I mean, did we did we think that after everything that happened between Cannes and Netflix a few years ago that we would be talking about the possibility of uh, The Irishman, for example, maybe playing at Cannes this year? And that's no. An instance of where concessions need to be made, and they're coming around to some sort of an agreement. So you could apply that here and say maybe not all Netflix movies should qualify, but if they have maybe three or four that they feel should qualify, then they could set up some sort of system where everybody could benefit. But they're already kind of doing that. Like, set it up into all the boys I loved before did not get theatrical releases. I mean, they already prioritized the ones that were going to be Oscar plays. And, you know, they, they gave Bird Box one week versus Roma's three weeks. Right. So maybe just cementing that a little more. And if it's three weeks, maybe expand it to four weeks. No one's really going to care about a week. If they're saying months, then that's a different story here. See, I'm a, I think I'm actually not really in favor of those exclusivity windows because I think that sets up a divide between people that can afford that and people that can't. You know, to keep a movie in theaters for that long it takes a lot of money. And yeah. some distributors can afford that and some others can't. You know, I think that if, if there is a movie that shows up just on a streaming platform and never plays in a theater, I can understand not wanting to qualify that for any kind of Oscar consideration. Because I do think at the bare minimum, having some kind of theatrical exhibition for a movie seems like it could be a requirement to qualify for Academy Awards. But if it is a day and date situation, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying this movie played in a theater, it should qualify. If movies that play in one theater, you know, starting on like December 29th mm -hmm. can qualify for the Oscars, I don't see why a day and date release that's in a couple theaters at the same time it's on streaming shouldn't be able to qualify either. Yeah, that's the thing. They've had those one week qualifiers that have been the bane of every Oscar watcher's existence for years. Yeah. So I don't know why it should matter if it was released on another platform 
first or at the same time. As long as it plays in a theater, what's that should be enough. So I guess the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves here is what is going to be the outcome? What do we think is going to happen? Is Spielberg going to present to the board in April and he's going to get shot down completely? Or do we think there he will win? Or do we think that there will be a middle ground compromise that is reached? Absolutely middle ground. I don't see how there can't be. Oh, I, I, th- I think he might just lose, honestly. That's where I am. I, I, I think it'll just continue to evolve naturally. I think that whole thing will just kind of quiet down and it will just happen over the next couple of years organically. And, I, you know, I, I also want to just comment by saying, too, it's interesting because I've seen a lot of people like turn the debate into like a racially motivated uh, kind of a debate. You know, like uh, I don't remember who was that said it before, but women and people of color are flocking to these streaming platforms to make their movies. And it's interesting because while I don't think Spielberg is obviously thinking of that when he's making this argument, you know, from any kind of racial motivation standpoint, um, that is the reality. And I think that as someone who's been a huge proponent, uh, you know, throughout this entire industry and has always been seen as the quote unquote good guy, you know, in our minds. I mean, we idolize this man. It's interesting to me, like, how much hate he has garnered for uh, this push. And I don't think that we should be canceling Steven Spielberg, saying Steven Spielberg movies absolutely suck and he's been a hack filmmaker or anything oh, like that. I think that's completely no, ridiculous. No, no. I mean, I've seen I've seen so many oh people gosh. get to that point with him over this issue. And I, I think that what it is, is it's a, it's a guy who feels very, very passionately about what he's doing. He thinks it is the right thing. Um, And we've always seen how good intentions can not always be, when you take a step back and have a little bit of perspective, um, can sometimes be the wrong thing. He's, he, I I don't want to say he's out of touch, but I think on this particular issue, yeah, he just, he is coming across as the old guard of the academy Mm -hmm. that we always talk about all the time that is the driving force behind a Green Book Best Picture win, which is, you know, in this case, not an example. It's true. (laughs) You know, he was a huge push behind that. And, you know, with this um, push as well, and I just find it very ironic uh, to Will's point earlier that this is a man who has brought about some of the most largest change that the film industry has ever seen and when there's a new change upon the horizon that he's not embracing that like his very good friend martin scorsese uh i i would love i i would love i want somebody to do that interview with marty and ask him how do you feel about your buddy steven Uh, (laughs) i mean marty could be like hey steve literally no one but netflix was gonna finance me i mean like netflix is so necessary and I don't think even adding on additional time in theaters makes sense because it mitigates their entire reasoning for why they're willing to shell out big money for smaller films like this because they don't have to worry about the theatrical experience. Theatrical experience is toxic for getting stories told. Relying on the box office? One thing, though, that I, I one thing I think might come about with this with some of the things that Spielberg is arguing for. Because I actually agree that I don't think a lot of what he wants the Academy to change is going to be implemented. But one thing I think might happen is that they might require box office numbers to at least be reported. Because I really think that was a mistake for Netflix to never report on Roma's Mm. box office. Because 
anybody who saw Roman theaters knows that it probably had a really good per theater average because the two times I saw it was in sold out shows. Yeah. And I think Netflix not reporting on box office makes it seem like they don't care about box office. And I think that more than anything is what offends people, certain people about Netflix and the way that they handle their theatrical distribution. So I can imagine uh, a requirement of at least reporting on your box office to be necessary to qualify for Oscars. Oh, let me just throw this out, though. Like, what if we had this world, and I know I'm dreaming, but where, you know, um, as soon as the Oscar nominees came out, every single person in America could watch every single one of those and have accessibility to that. I have to tell you, being in a limited market and being such a huge Oscar fan that I am, I still have to go through great lengths to see things um, at you know very short periods of time that I know if I if I miss them, then I won't see them before the show. I just there's a piece of me that dreams of that world, and you know this evolution might mean that that could happen someday. I mean, it's kind of amazing, right? That this is encompassing so many different issues. It's a distribution issue. It's a financing issue. It's so, so much. And to your point, Deanne, uh, there are thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people just like you uh, that struggle to find ways to watch these movies every year. And I actually think that there is something that the studios could learn from Netflix, maybe not from streaming, but just trying to find different ways to make the films more widely accessible. I mean, if we're talking about trying to find common ground here... And ratings. <laughs> there you go, right? If more people see the movies, then the Oscar ratings might go up. That's that's Yeah, that's a good point. Look at this year. You know, went up 14% because you have huge box office films that are nominated from the studio system, Star is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War in one category, whatever. Bottom line is that, you know, they're all there. And I have to believe that that is what made the ratings go up this year. So I, I, I'll tell you, I, I would love, 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 love to see a world where theatrical distribution does change its model somewhat to make these films more widely accessible because and maybe that'll be the studio's answer to Netflix because if Netflix doesn't decide to back down or compromise maybe it's the studios that will have to change their model and kind of adapt what Netflix has not with streaming but just making the films more accessible nationwide and it'll be interesting with the earlier Oscar date this year I don't know that it'll happen this year but over time if the Oscars are airing earlier it could change some of the habits related to you know anything after October is is Oscar everything before that isn't I mean maybe we'll see you know some of that spread out a little bit more that would be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, am I just dreaming? Is this is everyone just on, in my daydream with me? <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and isn't it interesting because, like, I find it. I don't know. I mean, tell me if you guys think my perception is wrong here, but more people, I think, are watching movies than ever before. Uh, well, actually, no. Let me rephrase that. Uh, more people are consuming uh, content yeah, than course. ever before. Yeah, mm-hmm. content, absolutely. But th- that content is in the form of miniseries and television series. Correct. So that's why I, I keep coming back to this. Uh, maybe it's not Netflix that has to actually bow down to the movie studios and play ball. Uh, maybe it's just the movie studios need to stop being so bullish and they're yeah. the ones that need to understand what's going on here. That's exactly it. It, you, I, like I said, people are lazy. They don't want to leave their houses. Um, it, I mean, it's also not just that. There's also socioeconomic factors. 
of course, but also people just like to stay inside and watch stuff at home, and they're not going to stop doing that. Like, once they have good content at home, they're not going to be like, oh, yes, I want to force myself to go outside. No, if I can get a fuzzy blanket and a bottle of wine and curl up and watch six hours of shit on Netflix, I'm going to do it. That's that's how most people's minds work. And the, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I went to go see Boy Erased back in November on a Friday morning at, I think, like 1030 in the morning. And I showed up to the theater. I was the only person in that theater. Not a single other person showed up. And as I'm sitting and watching the movie, I thought to myself, well, this isn't some big special effects extravaganza, and there's no one else in the theater to react, so why don't I have the option to just watch this at home also? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man, <laughs> so uh, I want to kind of now just wrap up this conversation with any final thoughts or anything that we didn't touch upon that, or anything that you guys just want to hammer home right now on this issue. Obviously, we'll hear more in April when the meeting happens, and we'll hear the fallout of that. Uh, it will revisit this topic when it comes back up again, but... Anything else uh, right now in terms of your hopes, your fears, or predictions, anything like that? Just one other thing on the same page, and I know Will saw this yesterday on Twitter. Someone brought up the possibility, not that this is in the works or anything, but what if they decided over at HBO to release the final episode of Game of Thrones in theaters like a month before it aired on HBO? Should that qualify for Oscars if that were to happen? I and that's yes. another really interesting uh, argument about where we are right now. I say no. <laughs> I mean, they've done that with Doctor Who episodes. You yeah, know, those are like, like four week week No, no, they no. It, they don't release the finale. They release like the premiere episode of the season, like a week or two before it airs on TV. And like, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't back those for being considered for Oscar. But is it like a one night exclusive event, or is it like a thing that plays four to six times every day? It's like for a Fandango event. No, we're talking like if this is released by Warner Brothers or something for a month in April and people go see it, it plays multiple times a day. Why would something like that qualify for Oscars? Because people might want to see it on the big screen if it's a show like Game of Thrones, you know? But then they do it as the event. They wouldn't do it as like a full release. Yeah, they they would. They did it with a few episodes a couple years ago through Warner Brothers. Season four, I remember. But to be clear on that, those were released a year after they aired on HBO. An anticipation oh, for the fifth after. season. Okay, I thought it was before. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a weird hypothetical because HBO would never ever do something like this. They've been pretty clear that on this issue with Game of Thrones specifically, uh, that they are keeping it on their platform because Game of Thrones is what brings people to their platform. So, sure. uh, to shell out the money to release it theatrically it doesn't make any sense for them. Where Netflix kind of wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be seen as this television streaming giant, but at the same time, they also want to get into the theatrical film business and hundreds of years, well, not hundreds, but like, you know, over a hundred years of uh, theatrical distribution and the model behind uh, getting financing, releasing the films and so on and so forth. You can't just uproot that and change it overnight. And I think what I, I just don't understand why Netflix can't just be a little bit more like, say, like Amazon Studios, you know? I don't. I. I, I mean, my, it's worked out well for them. <laughs> yeah, there should be a middle ground between it, where it isn't the three or four months that Amazon has, but if they make it for maybe five weeks, then I think that could appease a lot of people. Yeah. Well, Netflix isn't worried because they raised their prices yesterday. 
Oh, God. Oh, well. (laughs) Let me just tell you, I think they're fairly confident that, you know, after Roma doing so well, they're they're just moving forward. Oh, I mean, Will, you wrote that preview article for the site the other day about all the Oscar contenders that Netflix could possibly have on the horizon. And there was a lot of learns from this season behind the scenes for them with the Roma campaign. And yeah, the perception that they were quote unquote, trying to buy an Oscar with how much money they poured into it. It'll be even more interesting, I think, this year, seeing as how close they came and what approach they took with Roma, uh, with a more, say, friendly Oscar contender that's not foreign language, not black and white, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, uh, what kind of strategy they will employ this year. So it's going to be very, very interesting, to say the least. I mean, I'm... I'm looking forward to it with great anticipation. I don't have any dread about this whatsoever. I think that this whole conversation is actually very good for the the whole film industry overall. I don't see this as a death nail or as the harbinger of doom for the theatrical distribution or anything like that. I think that times are changing and it's about time that the, uh, you know, the theatrical model changes a little bit as well. But that doesn't mean that it goes away. That just means that it changes. I mean, remember back in the 50s and 60s when television was first becoming a thing, We were ha- they were having a similar conversation because people were staying at home and they weren't going to see the movies. And it was, what do we do to get people to come into the theaters and see movies? And that was an age of a lot of amazing technical advancements and achievements for film. So... As long as you have creative people working on these things, they can come up with something that will get people to see things in theaters and that will, in turn, encourage more people to put movies in theaters. Such as my beloved reclining seats. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how it works. (laughs) All right. We have some uh, fan questions here that I want us to uh, take a minute to answer. Uh, They're kind of all over the place, but I do want to just give them their due because what we have been doing the last couple of weeks is I've been asking for fan questions and not addressing them directly, but we have been answering them through our conversations at least. So with this, I just want to uh, mention some of these people that are bringing in their questions and answer them right now. So for example... Uh, we have Luca uh, Gilliberti here, who is asking us, what are your hopes for the 2019-2020 Oscar season? I'll go first. Um, I would like to see <laughs> some of the um, exciting female direction um, potential. Preach. Doing Preach. well <laughs> this season and making it into um, at least nomination this year. I mean, we all kind of agree that Deborah Granick, Lynn Ramsey, it's not – I have to say, because I've been seeing this argument a lot – 
the merit was completely there. The quality was there. It was the studios that completely failed them. Completely. Just by dumping their films early in the first half of the year, uh, giving them very, very little theatrical exposure, and then practically little to zero campaign money uh, to promote their films towards the second well, half of the year. Leaker did try, to their credit, with Granick. I was more focused on Amazon, who threw Ramsey to the wolves in that mm-hmm. film as a whole. Like, Bleecker did try. Y- you could see throughout mm-hmm. the season, they tried on Leave No Trace. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So we have a... tough because, like, You Were Never Really Here was much less of a likely film to get money than Leave No Trace. It was a much tougher sell. Uh, but I agree, Dan. That's like a, that's a good one to uh, hope for. I mean, obviously, we hope every single year. This year, we have a great uh, lineup. We do, yeah, yeah. Of uh, female directors, Greta Dee Reese back. is coming back. Greta, Dee Reese, uh, Casey Lemons um, for Harriet, Marielle Heller. Yeah. So I, don't, I can't wait to see how all of this shakes out. Uh, do you think, oh, sorry, let me see who this is from. Uh, this is from Ops Gutty. Uh, Nathan asks, do you think Rocketman has a chance at the Oscars next year, given the chance, uh, given the success of Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, absolutely. That trailer alone was better than the entirety of Bohemian Rhapsody. So when this movie opens in late May, that's like around the summertime, of course, I think you're going to have all these Elton John fans of which there are plenty showing up to the theater to see this. And if it's good enough, I don't see why it can't last through the summer. And maybe they put up a campaign for Karen Edgerton and costumes. And maybe everyone watches it again over Thanksgiving and goes, hey, this is best picture. Yeah. And if it is just a fraction better than Bohemian, then every critic out there is going to say, please go see this and and try to forget Mm -hmm. about Bohemian. And it it looks like it's much better than Bohemian. It does. I, At I the really very least, it looks like it has a point of view. And you know what? Like one thing I was worried about with something like Vice this year, for example, was I was worried about like the similarities to last year's uh, or two years ago, Darkest Hour. Um, you know, best actor, lead film, uh, you know, political figure, heavy makeup um, didn't seem to matter, obviously. So I don't see why in back to back years, even if it follows a very similar story structure, let's say hypothetically, um, why this cannot be a contender. Well, we said that the boomers uh, brought back Queen, and we should never underestimate how much they love them. Let me tell you, last year I went to a concert that was Elton John, Billy Joel, and Chicago. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm a 60-year-old man at heart. Mm. These these boomers are in for that Elton John, Billy Joel, Chicago, Queen era music. Like We're going to see more biopics like this if this one does well. Yeah, it has music that everybody loves. So mm-hmm. that's Bohemian Rhapsody. It has the biopic, you know, storytelling component that looks to be kind of in line with what we've seen. But then there's this other sort of fantastical element, kind of almost, it looks like there's some kind of, we drop everything and do some musical numbers, not just perform. And so it'll be really interesting to see how that added element maybe elevates it to be even something more special. Daniel B. at Film and Sports 21 asks, what are your most anticipated 2019 releases, excluding the obvious Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? For me, it's Little Women. Mm-hmm. That's Little on Women my list. And the new Noah Bumbach movie. I, there are other movies being released in 2019 other than Episode 9. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is going to sound lame, um, but I am genuinely especially considering we haven't even gotten a second trailer and it's right around the corner. I am genuinely anticipating Avengers end game because I really, really just want to see how they wrap up 
this chapter in the MCU storybook and what it will mean for that company moving forward. Because I tell you, I, I honestly believe Marvel is a bubble. And at some point, I think it is going to burst. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it cannot keep going on this upward trajectory forever, in my opinion. And how they choose to close this uh, chapter and usher in a new era is going to be so, so vitally important to that company's success. So I'm interested both from a storytelling standpoint and also from a business perspective as well, what Kevin Feige has up his sleeves with this one. Us. Uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, The Woman in the Window, Mm. The Goldfinch. Um, I also am a personal huge fan of the first It, so I cannot wait for It to. Yes. Oh, what about Cats? (laughs) I'm not even a big fan of the musical Cats, but I cannot wait to see what I agree, Michael. I'm saying, exactly. I don't love the musical, but I can't wait to see what this is. Whereas I love Cats the musical, but everything piece of news that comes out about this movie has me going Are more cringing fuck? <laughs> i'm just like not even cringing just like what that makes no sense what <laughs> yeah the, tom hooper and andrew lloyd weber is not really a duo that excites me very much i have to say um but you know what if i was going to pick one movie to look forward to uh that isn't some of the big ones I'm going to say Ad Astra. I just want to find yeah. on this movie that we've been yes. hearing about for so long. <sighs> I, I really, really want James Gray to have an Oscar vehicle so badly. I have this feeling that it's going to be bumped to maybe, uh, not Oscar season, but maybe around the late summer because it's set to open in May and we haven't had a single trailer or poster or anything yet. Yeah. How so maybe about they're Knives gonna... Out by Ryan Johnson? Anyone else hyped for that? The cast of that movie is mm-hmm. insane. It is. And it's, it's like a murder mystery in Agatha Christie style. How can we not want that? With Jamie Lee Curtis and Tony Collette, that does sound interesting. Uh, okay, Lisa C asks us: As it is Women's History Month, what is everyone's favorite film directed by a woman? I mean, can you say just one? I will. <laughs> All right, what do you got, Dan? Um, Cleo from Five to Seven. <gasps> good choice. Varda. Good choice. I-, I have a special place in my heart for uh, Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker. Mm-hmm. I I love the war film genre, and I thought there was a tremendous, great, like a really great amount of depth with the characterization in that film, uh, that Jer- especially the one that Jeremy Renner played. And I thought that whole story was just so fascinating and tense, 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 tense as hell. Uh, that was a really great theatrical experience uh, for me. And I, I'll never forget watching it in the afternoon. I took my sister, and we both loved it so much. We called up all of our friends, and we went later on uh, that same day at like a 9 o'clock showing with all of our friends, and we saw it two times in the same day. So my nostalgia pick would be big, you know, when I go back to like my early movie viewing days. Um, then my sort of evolutionary pick would probably be Lost in Translation, um, mm-hmm. which was, I thought, a nice turning point for female direction. And then most recently, of course, Lady Bird. Uh, Lady Bird, so good. Lady Bird, so, so good. Much. Yeah, I would shout out, uh, speaking of big, um, the other kind of noticeable Penny Marshall film, which is A League of Their Own. Oh, yes. so good, too. I yes. love that movie. I, and I remember watching it as a kid and loving it so much, and I still have such fondness for it today. It's mm-hmm. so, so well done. There's I'm no going to go with, for my pick, Yentl. I am not. I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah, not I don't think that I knew that was female-directed, Michael. Hmm. Barbara, <laughs> Barbara directed it. Uh, 
What about oh, the really? piano? I love the piano. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Bright Star, too. Yeah. There's so much stuff coming out of Sundance, too. Oh, my gosh. This is Oh, my God. This year was insane. A great year. And some of the best stuff is female-directed. I mean, Late Night, The Farewell are two of my favorite films from Sundance, both female directors. I mean, there was so, so many this year. It was just an abundance of riches. I, I like to look ugh. at the year ahead and see what could potentially end up on a top 10 for me by the end of the year, you know, guess early on. And both Late Night and The Farewell seem like top contenders. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I think so, Michael. I really do. I think I think you're all going to love them, actually. <laughs> Can't wait. And I also want to give a shout out to Ava DuVernay, who uh, Selma is just... Yeah. It, I rewatched it actually recently. It was my first time watching it since I saw it in theaters. And it, it's so, 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 so incredibly well done. And David Oyelolo's performance is... Should have won. I mean, like, I don't understand how and why that film got so tossed aside as much as it did. It, it boggles yeah. my mind. And she has a new miniseries coming up. It's not a movie, but it's going to be a miniseries on Netflix called When They See Us about the Central Park Five. That looks really exciting. I can't wait May 31st. for that. 31st. Just for the Emmy cutoff. Okay. Uh, so since we uh, got all of that out of the way, I, this question is going to lead into our uh, poll this week. This one's from Kevin R. Brackett. He's asking us, how are you all feeling a week later about the Oscars? Are any wins feeling better? What losses still sit sting? Glenn Close still stings, but I love Olivia Coleman and I'm very happy for her. But I just hate that it came at the expense of Glenn. Yeah, I have to say, Olivia Coleman's win is sitting better and better with me as time goes on. And not that it ever sat poorly with me at all, because it's a fantastic performance. But removed from the heat of the Oscars and the sadness of Glenn losing yet again, it it really comes out as just a fantastic choice for a truly stunning performance. You know, it's it's funny because I, I don't know if I'll get over this one anytime soon, but the favorite losing screenplay to Green Book, e- oh, even God. those that really like Green Book have even said <laughs> that the favorite should have won. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked about this last week out. on our uh, three-hour extravaganza. Both were in my personal screenplay lineup, but the favorite was about two or three shots ahead of Green Book. And if you're just looking at those two, yeah, I don't see how you could pick one over the other there it's really interesting how you know and look i'm not saying this to gloat i'm not trying to do this i want this very clear but that when you do kind of make those predictions for wins that you don't really want to see happen Mm -hmm. it does kind of take the sting out a little bit because did i want green book to win screenplay over the favorite absolutely not but i i kind of feel like sometimes when you predict that outcome at least you can mentally prepare for it so but yeah, it, it winning it winning screenplay is something that I don't really like, but I've kind of gotten over it now. I've tried to think a little bit about what the legacy of this year would be, you know, five years from now. If I was looking back at it, what would I remember? And I think for me, it is ultimately the fact that um, an amazing amount of great wins and great representation um, was overshadowed by mm-hmm. one thing um, and, and became the thing. It became the thing that kind of negated everything else. And that's disappointing to me. Um, you know, opinions of Green Book aside, I just, you know, that's kind of my observation of this year. No, it's a good observation to make, I think. So uh, with that said, uh, last week's poll here on the website, we asked everyone, uh, what was your favorite winner 
at the Oscars. We asked everyone to choose up to three, so we got a lot of votes in. Uh, and looking at the list now, wow. Okay, so there was a clear front runner here, uh, leading the way with 129 votes. It wasn't even close. <laughs> Olivia Col- Olivia Coleman. That was not wow. a pun, by the way. I, that <laughs> I think that I speech had a lot to do with it. Like four times. That, that speech is, is so amazing. Oh. That well, speech is so great. It's like the perfect combination of not almost seeming not prepared, but being so amazingly charming that like you just encap- captivate everyone instead of feeling forced. I don't know. It just was awesome. I loved it. it was Who was number two out of curiosity? Oh, well, I mean, I'll definitely say for sure. Uh, Number two favorite win of the night with 67 votes was Spike Lee winning for Adapted Screenplay for Black Mm -hmm. Klansman. Sure. In third place, favorite win of the night, Best Animated Feature going to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's good. And then in fourth place, Best Original Song going to A Star Is Born. And rounding things out in fifth place, Regina King, Best Supporting Actress for If Beale Street Could Talk. That was my favorite of the night. Yeah. Those are all really, really solid. See, I would also- some good stuff. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's what the theme here is. That, you know, it, it, even though to Deanne's point, I just reiterate everything that she said. It was not it was not a bad night, you know, when you think about it, in terms of the production of the show, how things went in terms of, you know, the flow of everything. We all thought it was going to be a disaster, you know, and and you know what? The show with different winners and different scenarios and things like that, it could have gone a lot worse, a mm, lot, lot worse. Yeah. So, OK, putting a. uh well, not necessarily a nail. I'm sure there'll be much more to talk about in the weeks to come, maybe, with the fallout <laughs> of the Oscars. Uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, we actually already started talking about um, end of the decade. Mm-hmm. You know, we're one, we're one year away from the end of everything. And it's interesting to look at some of these Oscar winners and comparing them to previous Oscar winners in their respective categories and asking ourselves, like, how will these uh, hold up against, you know, some of the others? And... I don't know, just something to ponder and think about as we get closer and closer to the end of the year. Uh, this week, we are asking everyone in anticipation for Captain Marvel, who is their favorite female character in the MCU? And we have a lot of choices. So I pass it off first to Will Mavity, favorite female character in the MCU. Ooh, 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 ooh. I've got to go with Evangeline Lilly's character. I don't remember the the person's name, but the Wasp in the Ant Man films. Yeah, Hope Hope Van Dyne uh, is her name in that one. I uh, I'm not God. I'll admit it. I still have not seen Ant Man or Ant Man and the Wasp. Me neither. <sighs> <laughs> they're the only uh, they're the only Marvel films I have not seen yet. <laughs> And I don't know what I don't know what's holding me back. I should probably watch them on Netflix before they move over to the Disney streaming service. <laughs> yeah, that'd be the best place for it. Uh, all right, Michael. Well, when we say MCU, are we just talking like post Iron Man or like the Sam Raimi yeah. Spider Man movies? Too? No, no, we're talking post Iron Man. Okay, then I'll talk about uh, from Black Panther. I'm blanking on the character's name. Uh, Denai Guerrero's character from Black Panther. Sorry. Uh, okay. No, 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 no. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, Okoye, yes. Yeah. She's my favorite from the post Iron Man. But if we're talking about just Marvel going back, I'm going to go with Donna Murphy's character from Spider-Man 2. <laughs> you are. That is so on brand, Michael. That's a Michael Schwartz answer. <laughs> right not there. even funny. Dan Bayer, what's yours? Um, 
can I say Agent Carter? Yeah. Because Agent Carter. <laughs> Haley Atwell was so fantastic. And I honestly don't think they've had as strongly written a female character since her. Deanne? Okay, so it's interesting as you look at this list, because there's really only one character who has had significant screen time, and that's Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. But I have to say that's not my favorite, because honestly, some of the arcs that her character has taken, I think, um, kind of put her lower on the list. But it's interesting that she really is the only one that has done more than one film it looks like um well maybe there's a couple others but um so for me because i'm very much interested and excited about captain marvel to see you know someone in the titular role um and see what that they can do with that character obviously dc has shown us some things with wonder woman um but i enjoy complexity and so for that reason i really like tessa thompson's valkyrie and in thor ragnarok uh, because she took a little bit of a different path of actually just being sort of a born hero that um is uh, kind of takes that fallen hero approach which you don't see with uh, strong female characters as much and so i enjoyed that and i enjoyed tessa thompson so there you go and what a fun performance that was yeah. too yeah josh barm i'm going to agree with michael and say okoye from black panther i mean that character is just so striking and so much of a presence in that film and come on anybody that uses a literal wig snatch as a defense move <laughs> <laughs> you gotta that's pretty great <laughs> i love that she's in that movie too because the nigra i can't talk uh, oh my God. okay thank you i'm having trouble speaking today obviously is an acclaimed <laughs> playwright who wrote the play eclipse starring lupita nyong'o who's also in black panther wow i didn't know that that's yes. interesting yes uh, favorite for me. Oh, oh it's tough. Uh, I would go with, I, I had to go with Valkyrie as well. I, I'm a huge Tessa Thompson fan and I love that she was presented as Thor's equal in that movie. And the comedy banter between the two of them, I just thought was so, so spot on. And she helped to elevate that movie, uh, so much. I, I, I want to see more of her badly. <laughs> so Oh, man. Uh, man, but otherwise, like, it's interesting because um, whoever said that, that uh, again, yeah, Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, has had some spotty writing uh, over the course of the, you know, a couple of films. I can say the same thing about um, uh, Scarlet Witch, played mm-hmm. by... Uh, yeah. 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 And, and and it's like, it's interesting because I want to I pick her or I want to pick uh, Natasha Romanoff, but I, I just feel that... You know, there have been some high points and there have been some low points where I just, I don't know, maybe it's because when you have so many people writing these films and, you know, directing them and so on and so forth, uh, you know, characters can evolve and sometimes it may just come off a little inconsistent. So otherwise, though, uh, Valkyrie is just so badass. I can't even. (laughs) Um, Looking forward to Captain Marvel. Um, You know, I I, I didn't get to say so on Rotten Tomatoes, unfortunately, but I mean, I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) You know, I mean... I have to say, I think that whole thing is just ridiculous. I, 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 I've really, really despise internet trolls so much, and it takes every fiber of my being to not engage them. Like it, it's just, I'm just shocked that it took Rotten Tomatoes this long to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, because like IMDb still has it. If I, if I'm thinking about this right, right? Yeah, like they still allow for uh, user comments to kind of derail a film, uh, film's ratings on there, uh, and you know, just from a standpoint of there being a agenda behind it, like it's not actual criticism. 
So, yeah, I, I, I listen. I, I know that a lot of people complain about. I don't care. I'm in favor of it. I don't think. I think that Rotten Tomatoes rating should be for the people that are writing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that do it professionally, not the ones who just create a user account to trash a movie. Totally agreed. Hi everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiotic Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I up. wonder shut who the gap can God watch. damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. You guys ready to hear the winners of the MVP Film Awards? Yes. Yes. Coming. Let's Give it, it to me. Yeah. I, we were supposed to announce these last week. Obviously, as everyone knows, the show went three hours and 15 minutes long. <laughs> I listened to every minute of it, just so you guys know. <laughs> well, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, it made it our longest episode in the history of the Next Best Picture podcast. And I, I'm just like, I'm really, really proud and really excited to announce these for you all. I've been holding on to them now for a little bit. And I have to say, I'm just like, you know, it's been it's been a very interesting year. Uh, and there's a big, big, big team now here at Next Best Picture compared to other years where we've given out the awards. So um, I think that our awards this year are pretty damn good, all things considering. I was afraid that we were going to reach more of a uh, general consensus, so to speak, uh, and match up with the Oscars in certain cases. But um, we kind of went our own ways here. And I, um, I'm really, really proud of that. So without any further ado... The 2018 MVP Film Award nominations voted up, well, winners voted on by the staff of NextBestPicture.com. First category is Best Overlooked Film. The nominees are American Animals, Blind Spotting, The Hate You Give, Leave No Trace, and Searching. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say the runner up, and then I'll say the winner. And if there is a tie for the winner, I will not announce what the runner-up was. Okay? Sounds good. The runner-up for Best Overlooked Film of 2018 is The Hate You Give. Hmm. And the winner is Blind Spotting. Yes. Good choices, everybody. Now, these were all done on a preferential ballot, right? That is correct. Every single category was preferential. Okay. Best sci-fi horror film nominees are Annihilation, Halloween, Hereditary, A Quiet Place, and Suspiria. The runner-up is Annihilation, and the winner is Hereditary. Nice. Uh, For best comedy film, nominees are Blockers, Crazy Rich Asians, Eighth Grade, The Favorite, and Game Night. The runner-up is Eighth Grade, and the winner is The Favorite. Yes. For Best (laughs) Action Film, nominees are Avengers Infinity War, Black Panther, Mission Impossible Fallout, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Widows. We have our first tie. The winners for the Best Action Film of 2018 are Black Panther, 
and Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, wow. For Best Visual Effects, nominees are Annihilation, Avengers Infinity War, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Ready Player One. If you guys also have any guesses as to what won, by the way, feel free to shout them out. But (laughs) runner-up is Annihilation. Winner is Avengers Infinity War. Biggest movie up there. And a great showcase for visual effects, for sure. Mm-hmm. How does everyone feel about First Man winning the Oscar over Avengers? I'm just so glad we get to call First Man the Oscar-winning First Man that I don't even care. That's how I feel, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Me, too. Because I just rewatched it recently, and... It's so good. So good. It, it's a, such a good movie, piece. but I do have to say, like, the visual effects are nothing special to me. Yeah, but it's... Yeah. To Dan's point, yeah. It's the prestige factor in that race. That's the one category... That I got like one the one of the few categories I got wrong where it's like man I really wish I had stuck with my instinct but it's a good winner overall I would still say uh, nominees for best sound mixing Black Panther First Man A Quiet Place Roma and A Star Is Born predicted winner anyone Star Is Born yeah I'll say A Star Is Born I'll say First Man the runner up is First Man. And the winner is A Star is Born. Yay. A little shout out to Roma. Yeah. Best sound editing. Uh, nominees are Black Panther, First Man, Mission Impossible Fallout, A Quiet Place, and Roma. First Man. First Man. <sighs> Runner up is Roma. Okay. Mm. And the winner is First Man. Ooh. That's how it should have been all along. First Man. Mm-hmm. And A Star yeah. is Born for sound editing and mixing, and instead we got Bohemian for both. Right. Uh, I still don't know how that happened. I, well, I mean, I know, you know how I, like, happened. I know how it happened. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know better than anyone how it happened. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Best original song. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. Black Panther, All the Stars. Mary Poppins Returns, where The Place Where the Lost Things Go. Mary Poppins Returns, Triple Little Light, Fantastic, and A Star is Born, Shallow. Well, it's going to be shallow, but it should be I'll Always Remember Us. This I don't know. I may have had some election tampering here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe you did, Michael, because the runner-up is Mary Poppins Returns for the place where lost things go. Well, I'm Yay. surprised it wasn't Triple Little Light, Fantastic with this group. That song is terrible. It's the best song in the movie, Dan. <laughs> it is the worst. Song. It's the best number in the movie, but it's the worst song. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At least the place where lost things go. Okay, well maybe this emotion. means that Triple Little Life actually won and was not the runner-up. Am I right there? No. <laughs> Michael, you are incorrect. The winner is A Star Is Born for Shallow. Ah <laughs> 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 uh, man. Uh, for best original score. Nominees are Black Klansman, Black Panther, First Man, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Mary Poppins Returns. I bet we voted for First Man. That's Please, what I think. Please, God. We have a tie. <gasps> I think I know what it is. Are yeah, we living in the too. best of all possible worlds? The winners are First Man and If Beale Street Could Talk. Yes! Those it are is... <laughs> We are geniuses. Can are. I just That's... say that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to pick between oh, those two scores. And yeah. yeah, having that to be a tie, that actually really makes sense. That's perfect. It's awesome. Uh, for best production design, nominees are Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. The runner up is The Favorite, and the winner is the Oscar winner, 
Black Panther. Well done. Nice. For best makeup and hairstyling, five nominees. Which, FYI, I've heard that there's some rumblings that they might actually position that to go to five nominees. Hopefully, very Jesus soon. God, there's Long no overdue. reason for it to be three. No reason. The nominees here were Black Panther, The Favorite, Mary Queen of Scots, Suspiria, and Vice. Fingers crossed for Suspiria. The runner-up is Suspiria. Oh, nice. Close. Close <laughs> enough. <laughs> and the winner is Vice. Really? I just want to say, my favorite work of the year was not even nominated by us, and that was Stan and Ollie. That was good, good work. But, you know, Vice has that bail transformation. I don't like all the other work, but his is enough that I'm good with that win. You all can keep that one. Yeah. <laughs> I was genuinely surprised uh, because I thought there was a lot of internal hate on the website for Vice. I mean, it only got three nominations from us, I think. Uh, maybe two. Maybe two. Not, not sure. And as a bonus, we're going to have uh, the Oscar winners come on our podcast to give their speech again. <laughs> please, please don't. No. Uh, for best editing, nominees are Black Klansman, The Favorite, First Man, A Star is Born, and Widows. The runner-up is Black Klansman. And the winner is First Man. Yes! Uh, for best costume design, nominees are Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, and Mary Queen of Scots. Runner-up, The Favorite. And the winner... Rufy Carter for Black Panther. Oops. As it should be. As it should be indeed. Yeah, there was no doubt ever since we saw that film back in February that that film was going to have the best costume design of oh, the yeah. year. First oh, insane. Mm-hmm. I, that was my favorite win of the night. It, <laughs> it was so good. For best cinematography, nominees are The Favorite, First Man, If Beale Street Could Talk, Roma, and a star is born. And we have a tie. Wow. Ooh. Can I guess what it is? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I think it's a tie between Roma and Beale Street. I think it's a tie between Roma and First Man. The winners for best cinematography are If Beale Street Could Talk and The Favorite. Oh. Wow. Wow. That's shocking. I'm so glad Beale Street got something. That deserved the nomination at the Oscars. I I can't believe I missed that. It was some of the most gorgeous cinematography of the year. Such a beautiful looking movie. I mean, yeah. It is actually surprising with Roma not making it for cinematography from us. I'm actually kind of shocked by that. I know. I don't don't think I voted for the favorite. I need to go look. But, I mean, it is, it does show, like, kind of the vacancy of that you know, setting very well in terms of how it's shot and a lot of whatever that's called when they go really up close to the face. <laughs> what is that called? <laughs> Best documentary feature. Nominees are Free Solo, Minding the Gap, RBG, Three Identical Strangers, and Won't You Be My Neighbor. Make me proud. The runner-up is the Oscar winner, Free Solo. And the winner is... Won't you be my neighbor? Thank goodness. Michael, what would you have done? <laughs> I would have been like Mr. Rogers and took it like a pro. <laughs> uh-huh. He would have gone home to his puppets and written a song. <laughs> For best foreign language film, nominees are Burning, Capernaum, Cold War, 
Roma, and Shoplifters. The runner-up is Cold War, and the winner is Roma. Surprise, surprise. Uh, For Best Animated Film, nominees are Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And the runner-up is Josh Parm, Isle of Dogs. Yes, I feel like me and JC probably had something to do with that. (laughs) I I have a feeling. (laughs) And the winner is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. For the category for Best Adapted Screenplay, nominees are Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, A Star Was Born, and Widows. The runner-up is Black Klansman. And the winner is If Beale Street Could Talk. Yay! That is the correct outcome. I do like Black Klansman, and I like that screenplay, but the better achievement is Beale Street. Mm -hmm. Uh, For Best Original Screenplay, nominees are Eighth Grade, The Favorite, First Reformed, Private Life, and Roma. The runner-up, Bo Burnham for Eighth Grade. And the winner is The Favorite. Yes. For debut director, nominees are Ari Aster for Hereditary, Bo Burnham for Eighth Grade, Anish Shiganti for Searching, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, and Carlos Lopez Estrada for Blind Spotting. The runner-up is Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born. And the winner is Bo Burnham for eighth grade. Hey. I'm good with that. Should I'm okay be. with that. Yeah. Should be Ari Aster, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> for best achievement in directing, nominees are Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Alfonso Cuarón for Roma, Barry Jenkins for If Beale Street Could Talk, Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite, and Spike Lee for Black Klansman. The runner-up is Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Okay. And the winner is Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. Do we think that was how it shook out at the Oscars? Um, that's a very good question. And I I think the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, like, because I hope it was, but I don't know that I believe it actually was. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I still, I, I'm still waiting for the day that we see a black, uh, you know, filmmaker win best director. And in my mind, the narrative was, well, who better than Spike Lee? But who knows the way Barry Jenkins is uh, turning them all out. Maybe he'll be it one day. You know, I don't know. Maybe somebody from out of nowhere, you know, you never know. Best breakout performance. Nominees are Yalitia Aparicio for Roma, Cynthia Arrivo for Bad Times at the El Royale, Elsie Fisher for Eighth Grade, Kiki Lane for If Beale Street Could Talk, and Thomas and McKenzie for Leave No Trace. Very, very competitive category. Mm-hmm. Which resulted in a tie. Winners are Yalitzia Aparicio for Roma and Elsie Fisher for Eighth Grade. I thought for sure it was going to be Elsie and Thomas and McKenzie. Wow. For best voiceover performance... Nominees are Brian Cranston in Isle of Dogs, Holly Hunter for Incredibles 2, Shamik Moore for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Sarah Silverman for Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Ben Wishaw for Paddington 2. The runner-up is Brian Cranston for Isle of Dogs. 
And the winner is Ben Wishaw for Paddington 2. Okay, good. So I don't have to murder everybody on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for best youth performance. To what? To youths, your honor. <laughs> My cousin Vinny reference. Nominees are... Elsie Fisher for 8th Grade, Thomas and McKenzie for Leave No Trace, Millie Shapiro for Hereditary, Militia Simmons for A Quiet Place, and Amanda Stenberg for The Hate You Give. Runner-up is Amanda Stenberg for The Hate You Give. And the winner is Elsie Fisher for 8th Grade. For the category for Best Supporting Actress, nominees are Amy Adams in Vice, Elizabeth Debicki in Widows, Regina King and If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone in The Favorite, and Rachel Weiss in The Favorite. The runner-up is Emma Stone in The Favorite. Oh! Wait a minute. Yes! And the winner is Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful news. (laughs) That is wonderful, but I got to know who voted for Emma Stone over Rachel Weisz. You got to call me, people. I did. I did. I will tell you right now, I think I love Rachel Weisz in The Favorite, but Emma Stone has never given a performance that good. She did. It was two years, and she won an Oscar for it. Oh, please. (laughs) Nearly at the level of this. I mean, the truth is they're all good. So, but but still, yeah. I'm raising my hand right now because I, too, voted Emma Stone over uh, Vice in this category. I, I too, think it is the best work she's ever done. Hmm. Yeah, it it is a great performance, just like the last one. And the thing they have in common is that they're both leads. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. For Best Supporting Actor. Nominees are Mahershala Ali in Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant in Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther. The runner-up is Adam Driver for Black Klansman. Wow. wow. That's who I voted for. And your winner is Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Yeah, yeah we were clearly going to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was no doubt. No doubt. They had there a great Oscar clip. friend of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they had a really great Oscar clip for Adam Driver the other day during the telecast. And I had seen that movie again recently, and it was just a reminder of how good he is and John David Washington. Uh, I wish he had some traction also, but I'm really glad Driver made it in that we recognized him here. Yeah. I'm excited for the Don Quixote movie. I don't oh know. Call me a sucker. I've been waiting but for that movie for so long. I can't long. wait. I can't wait. <laughs> Jonathan Price. Yes. Okay. Best actress. Yalitzia Aparicio for Roma. Tony Collette for Hereditary. Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. Lady Gaga, A Star is Born. And Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Predictions? Hmm. I think we're going with Coleman. Yeah, I think Coleman's going to take it in the end, but as for runner-up... McCarthy, maybe. I'm holding out for the banging of the drum we've been doing all year for Tony Collette. Oh my gosh. I don't know the runner-up, but I, I definitely think Coleman's the winner. Let's see. The runner-up is Tony Collette in Hereditary. Ah, uh, uh, yes! And the winner... This is hysterical! Is <laughs> Olivia Coleman in The Favorite. <laughs> Hilarious! <laughs> when she got up there and she's like whoa that's genuinely quite stressful I die every time yeah. oh. God, I've watched that speech so many times I love it oh, but, uh. Uh, 
I just want to take that line of her saying it's generally quite stressful and like put it like in a splice after every like tense movie scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, best actor. Nominees are Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Ryan Gosling in First Man, Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, and John David Washington in Black Klansman. Runner-up is Ethan Hawke in First Reformed. Uh, and the winner is Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. You know, actually, I'm, those are the number one and two of the year, and i splitting hairs to say which one is better, honestly. Yeah, I don't have much to say about it because we've always talked, we talked all season about how great Bradley Cooper is and how he deserved to win and how he was so great and he was robbed and here we're just rewarding him. Rightfully so. For best ensemble, Black Klansman, Black Panther, The Favorite, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Widows. The runner-up is Widows. Yes. And the winner is the favorite. Ah! Yeah. Yay. And finally, Best Picture MVP Film Awards voted on by the staff of Next Best Picture for 2018. And then we never have to talk about 2018 ever again, everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Nominees are Black Klansman, Black Panther, Eighth Grade, The Favorite, First Reformed, If Beale Street Could Talk, Leave No Trace, Roma, A Star Is Born, and widows. The runner-up is Roma. Wait, can I guess? Can I guess? You go ahead. I think the winner is the favorite. You are right. The winner is the favorite. Yes. So tallying everything up now, uh, the favorite leads with six wins, three runner-ups. If Beale Street could talk with four wins, no runner-ups, just four wins. Roma with three wins, three runner-ups. Eighth grade, three wins, two runner-ups. Black Panther, three wins, one runner-up. First Man, three wins, one runner-up. A Star is Born, three wins, one runner-up. And after that, it's just all one wins and a bunch of runner-ups. The film with the most runner-ups and not a single win was Black Klansman with four. Hmm. And that's it. That is the MVP Film Awards for 2018, everyone. I can't believe it's over. Good job, us. Good job, us. I think so. <laughs> I thought we did an excellent job of picking the nominees, and I mean, I'm very, very proud of the winners. It, did Did anybody here have the favorite ranked low on their ballot? I just want to know. It was my number two. No. It was my number one. I think it was number. I think it was my number two also. And that's why I figured it was going to win because I think I had it at maybe three or four. And, you know, they all come together. So that's our consensus. We all liked it. I mean, and we were all vocal about liking it. And didn't it, uh, it did well in like Cody's preferential ballot simulation, right? Yeah, it did. If we were voting on the Oscars, yeah, it, it, that actually uh, was the one that won. So it, I wasn't surprised uh, when it won here. What I was more surprised about was, you know, it winning elsewhere for Coleman and uh, some of the, you know, some of the other categories that it got. But uh yeah, no, I'm ecstatic. It's my favorite film of the year, so I'm I'm happy with it. I think the lowest, looking at the ballots here, the lowest it ranked on anyone's ballot was at number eight. So no nines or tens for anyone. So that gives you a pretty clear indication. I mean, there were definitely some categories where uh, some people won in the first round, no question about it. 
<laughs> you know? Uh, but that was one where it went to, uh, for Best Picture, I mean, it went to, let's see here, how many rounds? It went to nine rounds of voting. Wow. So we were we were kind of all over the place, but the favorite prevailed in the end. So uh, what I want to do now uh, to kind of just wrap everything up as I do want to address uh, what we're going to be doing in the offseason, because I know a lot of people have been wondering, uh, what are we going to do now that the Oscars are over here at Next Best Picture? Well, we still do continue doing podcasts uh, throughout the year. The website doesn't shut down. Uh, I don't take a break. Um, you know, it's just it, it just keeps going 24-7. We're always looking for the next best picture Oscar winner here at nextbestpicture.com. But one thing we are going to do during the offseason uh, in relation to the throwback reviews and the last best picture podcast reviews that we've been doing for the last couple of months now, I was watching Mad Max Fury Road the other day in anticipation for uh, that Last Best Picture podcast review. And I thought to myself, man, 2015 was such a great year. So many great films that year. You had Ex Machina, you had Straight Outta Compton, you had Inside Out, you had The Martian, The Revenant, Spotlight, Big Short. I mean, like, it was just so, so much. And I remembered that Next Best Picture kind of started its awards coverage in 2016. And so... One thing that we're going to be doing now moving forward is we are going to utilize the offseason to look back at previous Oscar years, starting with 2015. And we will then have for each month leading up until probably around September. Uh, we'll see how everything goes. Uh, we're going to have podcast reviews for a film that was nominated for Best Picture and a film that was it, that was nominated for an Oscar, but not for Best Picture. So that's the way we'll do our throwback review and our last best picture podcast reviews moving forward over the next couple of months, culminating then before award season officially kicks off then uh, with Telluride, Venice, and so on and so forth. We will have our own MVP film award winners and community awards voted on for that film year. And we will keep doing that going backwards each year, 2014, 2013, and so on and so forth until, you know, I'm dead. <laughs> so... It's going to be fun, I think. Yeah. Till we get to Wings in 1929. <laughs> <laughs> we may not ever get there. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should start there. Nah. Nah. Oh. nah. So I'm really, really excited to go back and revisit uh, some of these. And the way I'm going to be doing it, too, because uh, normally we do the uh, podcast reviews with polls. I'm going to have one giant poll throughout the month of March. I will list the films that were nominated for Best Picture, and I will list all the films that were nominated for Oscars that year as well for the throwback reviews, but not for Best Picture. And what I'm going to do then is I'll tally up the votes, and I will you know, take whatever gets the most amount of votes in that poll. And that's what we will this way. So that this way, the fans still have a say, you know, what I mean, in what it is that we're, we're reviewing. Um, and those will be our podcast reviews then over the next couple of months. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. So exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So thank you so much, everyone, for what has been an incredible season over here. And when I say incredible, I mean, unpredictable, wild, sometimes stressful, but overall memorable award season here at nextbestpicture.com. Uh, we have Captain Marvel this week, and like I said, we have a lot more coming on down uh, the road here. So stay tuned for everything else that we have coming up. I mean, listen, Game of Thrones right around the corner for Next Best Series. Next Best Theater is not slowing down. In fact, you guys are still turning out really terrific content. Uh, and I, I think we're going to see an increase in that even more so throughout 2019. So 
yeah, we're not slowing down at all. Oh, man. Will, Michael, Deanne, Josh, Dan, uh, and to the rest of the team, if you're listening right now, and to all the fans out there, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Will Mavity, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Michael? Just one more thing. I want to say thank, to, thank you to you, Matt, for making all this happen. The entire season, the podcast, the content on the website. You know, we put in a lot of good work, but we wouldn't be able to do it without you. Thank you. I'm going to get emotional. And you can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Deanne? Okay, I had a little speech planned too, so sorry. I, I have to echo that and thank Matt and thank everybody at the podcast. I unfortunately wasn't able to participate this last season like I wanted to, but my God, the show went on and so much evolution happened and the team grew in amazing ways. And I just you know, want to commend everybody for that and thank you for welcoming me back because you're going to be hearing a lot more from me this year and I'm excited for that. So thank you, MVP. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you, Matt, very much for your patience. So um, I am at Tweedledd33. Josh Parm. Uh, well, to quote Shirley MacLaine's Oscar speech, uh, I deserve this. Thank you. <laughs> 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 uh, but no, seriously, Matt, thank you so much for all your hard work and giving all of us an opportunity to express ourselves. We all genuinely do appreciate it. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at JR Parm. Den Bear. You can find me at on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film. And I'm going to echo the chorus. Thank you, Matt, for being our fearless leader and for inviting us all to be part of this crazy ride. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 132 of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of nextbestpicture.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, Acast, and CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support, which you can provide over at Patreon. Those podcast reviews that I mentioned earlier will be exclusives to Patreon. So if you subscribe for $1 a month, you will be able to listen to all of those great shows over here that we are going to provide to you in the offseason as we wait with great anticipation for the next upcoming award season. The content doesn't stop. The website doesn't stop. We don't stop. I don't stop. None of it stops. We look forward to having you join us every single week here, and we will see you all next time. Next time.